This is One Bills Live, presented by Kaleida Health. Hey, how the heck are you? It's a Thursday here on One Bills Live. Chris Brown, Steve Tasker with you. Mandatory minicamp is over. Not because today was the last day, but because it got scrapped, as has been the case the last few years uh, under head coach Sean McDermott. I want to say every year since maybe maybe 2017 was the only year he didn't scrap the last His mandatory minicamp. The they didn't. And one of a growing number of NFL teams that, finger quotes, always scrapped the last yeah. day of their mandatory minicamp. The Jets didn't have theirs at all. Patriots didn't have their last day. Um, who else? There's a yeah. There's just starting to be. I, it's become common teams, practice. Yeah, these teams, um, because of the OTAs and the attendance of those OTAs, and the Bills have been there for three been there for three weeks. Um, those last few days, given the parameters that which they got to work in, it's like, eh, you know, they've been doing this for three weeks. So, one more. Hour and a half practice isn't going to make or break them, and and they probably got all their stuff done, their agenda, all their installation, all their teaching on the field, all their meetings, all that stuff's done. So they, you know what, let's cut them loose. I think it's, yeah, it's it's a cursory gesture towards the players, I guess. Right, and the reason the Jets scrapped their mini camp was they come back for training camp before anybody else, except for one other team because they're playing in the Hall of Fame game. So by virtue of having an extra preseason game, they can start their training camp early. They'll have extra practices, not to mention the fact they'll have an extra preseason game to get reps in right. as well. So, right. yeah, It's so different these days, and, and it's better, i got to admit, too, as, as an old guy. But it used to be you never took a day off. Oh, my gosh. It was like conce- – No days off. Oh, it, was like, it was like, oh, you may as well just give up. If you're gonna take, if you're gonna cut this rep short, <laughs> you know, if you're gonna, if you're gonna, if you're gonna take out this section of practice and not do one-on-ones today, you may as well just give up. You're 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 weak. You're worthless and weak. I mean, it, it's really the mentality you used to have. It's like you, sh- you know, I get it, dudes. This is better. Yeah. It's, they work smarter. They got science involved in it. They got you know these guys are going. Listen, these guys are you know. All the the GPS stuff they've got, they know how hard these guys are working, where they're running, where they're you know exertion their level, heart, their heart level, their heart rates, all that stuff, and they say, you know what, you load uh, management, yeah, it's a thing, and they're just better now because of it. These guys are out there, guys are out there dropping fifteen pounds in two a days on in in a single day, yeah, and they're like, come on, suck it up, let's go, yeah, and the guys going, dude. I weigh. I lost more weight than my six-month-old son weighs. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like unbelievable. It's a little different. It's a little different now, oh. for sure. So the final practice got canceled by head coach Sean McDermott uh, on the heels of him addressing the situation, which we brought to you right at the end of our show yesterday, where he provided clarity to the whole Stefan Diggs absence and then return to minicamp practice, and in his words. He feels the whole situation is now resolved. So they break for the summer. They get their five-and-a-half-week break before training camp, and off they go. Hit the ground running when they get back in late July at St. John Fisher. So that is uh, the aim, at least now, with that resolved before they left for good. And, uh, you know, that's (laughs) – 
Is that the this best thing, thing to come out of this, minicamp? This thing <laughs> had a life of its own for oh my a day gosh. and a half here. And, you know, I just I think we kind of anticipated this was going to be a blip on the radar, and looks like that is, in fact, the case. So, yeah, it's funny. I Not funny, but it all came from Sean McDermott, Sean McDermott saying very concerned. That was it. Right. If So, if wh- – whatever. <laughs> and we <coughs> people in our industry I, t- I made this joke yesterday it's kind of a joke but it's not really a joke G- it gives them all a day off I mean that's content because fans want to talk about that they don't want to talk about it. they don't want to hear yeah. about you know the, the guard competition they don't want to hear about the wide receiver room except how it affects Steph Diggs they don't want to hear about anything except that so it all g- it gave the entire western New York media and some of the national media just, you know, a something free, to chew on a free day, you know? Yeah. Uh, so that's over and done with. And, you know, they'll they'll be right back at it, you know, five and a half weeks from now. But they get a, a break. The rookies are probably really happy for this break because they've been going basically since the college football season ended. They've been on the pre-draft train doing all of that, prepping for the combine and then the banquet circuit and the draft and then right to rookie minicamp, and then into OTAs, a lot of extra classroom sessions because they got to get up to speed on everything from things around town, where I'm going to live, not to mention the playbook here. So (laughs) they'll have a well-deserved respite here to kind of recharge their batteries. I mean, they're young guys. They'll bounce back. You know, we're talking 22- and 23-year-olds, 21-year-olds. But it's it's a six-month grind. I can't tell you how many times I would interview rookies after their first year here and they would say, I'm just looking forward to a normal off season as a professional now. Where I don't have to worry about, am I in good enough shape to run at the combine? What is my agent telling me about the draft? Who do I have to bring to the draft if I'm going to the draft? Like all of this stuff. Where am I staying when I get to the town? Where am I going to live? Where am I yeah. going to live? You know, what, where do I live? What town do I pick a town? Ta- uh, do I get an apartment? Do I buy a house? Do I get a condo? Yep. And then most of these young guys, they don't, some of the young guys, not most of them, some of the young guys, you know, they don't have a, their support, even their support, their family support or their circle of friends who is going to help them, you know, their agent, their, their publicist, whoever, or if it's their mom and their dad and their brothers and the sisters. Somebody's there for them. They got their people. Um, they got to figure out what they're going to do with them too. And those people have to figure out how they're going to handle the new city and and how they're going to. Are they going to live with them? Are they going to get their own place? Are they not going to live there? Are they just going to visit? Are they just going to come in for games? Is it? It's a life altering thing that happens to these young players, and they get through this season, and then once that once the draft hits and maybe the combine. They remember just from a year ago, oh, that was me. I was there. I'm like, oh. Glad I don't have to do that. Well, yeah, but also it's like, oh, that, that, that's the whole thing? So I went through this whole, this is how it's going to be for these guys now coming in? Oh, I got this. It kind, of, kind of that thing, like, oh, I've seen all this before. Okay, right. now i got a handle on it. Nothing I expected is going to happen, so now I can really dig in. And they start to really progress. Uh, I, it's so life-altering. 
uh, you know, and anybody knows who's had gotten a new job in another city, it's a huge adjustment. But even more so, I think, for pro athletes because they it's such a you know, you do it in public for one thing. Yeah. And and it does and usually there's no consideration of anybody having to come and live with you and you know support you while you're you know, doing it. Uh, but I think it's pretty commonplace for NFL players. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. Th- this time of year is one where they can finally go whew, take yep. a deep breath. I'm like okay, all right, I got to get ready for camp. I'm, I'm I think I know what I'm. I know what I'm. You feel like you know what you're doing now. May not know where anything is at training camp. They'll get need to get an orientation session there because I'm willing to bet none of them have been to St. John Fisher. <laughs> but, you know, they'll get a handle on that's it just why. like every other rookie that came before that. Second and third year players really make strides. Well, and that's part of the reason why. My, uh, I've said this before. I had a coach, the best coach I ever had position-wise, and one of the best teachers I've ever been around was Nick Nicolau. And he, he would come in and give our wide receiver room the same talk every year. He would on the whiteboard, and he'd talk to the rookies. He'd say, guys, here's you. And he'd draw a little profile of a head, you know, just a straight, you know, line with a nose, and you know. And he says, right here, and he would put a little scratch in their skull. You get inflammation right here when, you become, when you're a rookie. Right when you get drafted, this little inflammation happens. And it doesn't go away until your second year. You just – you have this inflammation that won't allow you to act like you should act. And he's right. You just you, – because you don't know how to act. Right. And these guys going to – you got St. John Fisher. Where, how far is – how far is Rochester? How far is – where is it? What's it look like, you know? Do I need a scooter to get around Do they campus? have football – do they have a stadium there? Do we practice on stadium or is it, what do we – you know, all this stuff. They don't know. Yeah. How do you get around? And I think that's – you know, all of those unknowns, you know, occupy brain space and time. Oh. And so you hope Energy, that. Energy, everything. Do, yeah, so you just got to hope that it doesn't impact some rookies to the point where it impacts their performance on the field. Yeah. You know, that they can kind of push all that stuff to the side and just execute. That is certainly the hope for somebody like Dalton Kincaid, for example, who I think many are hoping can be a contributing part of this passing game right from the jump. So. I don't know about you, but I was kind of encouraged by what we saw from Dalton Kincaid over the course of the spring. Um, you know, Brandon Bean, when he was asked about Kincaid specifically, said he cautioned, you know, it's still very early. It's still not real football. But there seems to be, what's the word I'm looking for? A savviness to his game that you don't often see with rookie players. I thought Khalil Shakir had some of this as well. There's a route-running savvy, a feel for coverage, a feel for voids in the defense. I think it's a reason why he's the first – one of the big reasons why he's a first-round pick. He knows it's, where to be. He can improvise on the fly. He can read coverage on the fly and adjust accordingly and make himself available. And I'll say this, too. when you Let's face it, it's been a minute since we had an offensive player be the first guy picked mm-hmm. that wasn't an offensive lineman or something like that. Um, I can't even remember the last one it was. Could have been too long ago. Well, maybe Josh, right? Um, but Josh you see these the, last one. the young guys that come in as an offensive player. It's easier for Jamokes like us to go out there and see him catching the ball and he's in the right spot and all. It's easier to kind of quantify it and you say, "Oh wow, okay, I get it." For a defensive back or 
you know, a defensive lineman or whatever, it's harder to quantify. But when the guy jumps in there, takes reps, and he makes good catches, and he's a, it's easy to say get some positive vibes about him. I don't know if it's going to translate to Dawson or Dalton Tin, Kincaid on the field. If it's going to be like, wow, okay, I see it. He's going to taking all these reps, but certainly, I think the fact that what we have heard and what we have not heard about him from the coaching staff and his teammates, I think it's encouraging. Yeah, we'll see how it plays out. Uh, when we're all at training camp at St. John Fisher in about six weeks' time. Let's go around the NFL, presented by Collider Health, the official health care system of the Buffalo Bills. And we begin with Hopkins Watch. DeAndre Hopkins visiting with the Patriots today. There was a report yesterday that Hopkins was opt- or the Patriots were optimistic about landing Hopkins. We'll have to see what comes of the visit. And some indications are that Hopkins is still willing to take his time and really doesn't have a hard deadline on signing with anybody until right before training camp. Um, So it sounds as if the Patriots would have to bowl him over with an offer, not something they're known for doing all that often, especially for players on the wrong side of 30 years of age, but we'll see. Yeah, they – the Patriots have got Juju Smith-Schuster on their roster. D-Hop would help them. And I, you know, our, 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 our guy Dan Orlovsky was on television today, and, I, you know, we watch a lot of this stuff. And I think he's right. DeAndre Hopkins automatically becomes their number one guy in New England. Smith-Schuster can't stay healthy, has really struggled with it through his six-year career. We talked about that yesterday. D-Hop, while he had a six-game suspension this year, only missed really two games because of his health. Uh, He's long in the tooth, and he's not the runner he once was, but the guy catches it, and he gets open. But I'll say this, too, Brian. The Patriots need him worse than he needs the Patriots. Right. I mean, they have other talent there. Kendrick Bourne's a nice player. Devontae Parker is an elite athlete, but he has trouble staying healthy. He'll miss four or five games every year because he just doesn't, I don't know, he doesn't hold up. I don't know if he doesn't take care of himself enough, whatever. But then after that, you got a couple of sixth-round rookies and their second-round pick from a year ago, Tyquan Thornton. I mean, that's it. Yeah. So they could use the help. I think that goes without saying. I'm going to be very – I mean, if they do land him, I'm going to be very curious because this is shaping up to be a one-year deal. I'd be surprised if it's anything more than that. Right. But I'm with you. If the Patriots are thinking the way everybody else is thinking, he doesn't leave that building without a contract. But if if it's DeAndre Hopkins acting like the guy we think DeAndre Hopkins is, he's not going to sign until he wants to do something. And I don't think he wants to spend the the next month and a half – grinding it out in New England. Well, they're pretty much done between now and training camp. Everybody's done. So the window's open for him to sign and not be obligated to be on the field in a team capacity until the end of July. So he could sign now, collect a check, and then get ready. Uh, Jahan Dotson, speaking of receivers, Washington Commanders receiver Jahan Dotson thinks the quarterback situation in terms of who's the starter in Washington is over. 
and that it's going to be second-year signal caller Sam Howell, who was appointed the starter by head coach Ron Rivera earlier in the offseason, then opened the competition. You know, it'll be an open competition through camp, but right now Sam Howell is the clubhouse leader ahead of Jacoby Brissett. So where that goes, I guess we'll see, but in one of the top receivers on the roster's opinion, Sam Howell's the guy. So we'll see how that flies in a very competitive division. I think most people would have Washington fourth in that division with the Cowboys, Eagles, and Giants. You know, those other three teams made the playoffs last year. Right. So that's going to be a tough road to hoe as a first-year starter for Sam Howell. It'll be interesting to see. We heard yesterday reports that it looks like the final approval of the sale of the team is going to go through in the next month at the owners' meetings. Yep. When that happens, it will be extremely interesting to see what effect that has on the locker room, the coaching staff, and the organization as a whole. Because it all starts from there. Yeah. That's – yeah. Um, I think it's going to be a minute before the commanders become – Relevant again, depending on how long it takes these owners to get acclimated. But I think that's going to be a. I think it's going to be an enormous distraction for that whole club when that happens, if it does. Hmm. And then there's the precipitous fall, Steve, of one Carson Wentz, now a free agent, after uh, things did not go well with his third NFL team, which was Washington. He is now working with former Raiders head coach John Gruden on his game in the hopes of signing on with a club. Last month, he said he would be willing to take a backup role somewhere in the league. Just a year ago, he would he was maintaining, I am a starter only. His tune has changed considerably in right. one calendar year. So, I'm that is unbelievable. Yeah. He was playing at an MVP level in Philly, and now look where he's at. And he's young. He's still young. And I, I, his signing with the Indianapolis Colts was, a, was an enormous mistake, even though he had a chance to work with a guy I, who I got a lot of love and respect for, Frank Reich. But that organization was not run by the football people. It was run by the owner. And they, you know, and – you know, when decisions start getting made like that, the fallout is massive. Yeah. And I think he is part of that. The head coach was part of that. And it's a matter of time before the GM is going to be a part of that. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I suppose he could latch on somewhere, especially if there's an injury. I'm I mean, a from, a physical, from a physical ability standpoint – He's better than a lot of the backups in the league. Absolutely. So it kind of makes you wonder, is there something else there that is keeping teams away? I don't know. It's, it's peculiar to me. I, I Look, I'll be the first to recognize that his career has kind of gone off the rails here the last couple of years, and he has not produced, and that's enough to – Cost you opportunities in the league, but as a backup, I, I would think he could land somewhere as a backup too, quarterback. I, I'll say this: he's got some physical abilities and he's got some chops. Let's face it; he has played well at this level. 
obviously sporadically and not always, but there's probably a, a, a file on him for all these teams. And they have their own opinions about him. Think about this, though. If you're a team, say, for instance, like Green Bay or San Francisco, um, and you know, you've got a young quarterback, or mm-hmm. Chicago, you've got a young quarterback you're trying to groom and stuff, the last thing you want is for a guy like Carson Wentz to come in and through his experience and his ability that he still has a bunch of, show the guy up. You know what I mean? Is that a terrible thing? Well, if you're getting good quarterback play? Because Carson Wentz, <laughs> I, this is my, now I'm opening up my file on Carson Wentz. Carson Wentz looks, is a great practice player. It's only when the lights come on does he yeah. shrink. So in you know training camp and stuff, you got this young quarterback like Justin Fields or Trey Lance or Jordan Love or you know any place you name it to have Carson Wentz come in light everything up in practice, and you got an owner standing over there going, "Hey, what about this guy?" And then you put him in the game, and he detonates. Hmm. Could happen. Well, I mean, so. I think it's that kind of uncertainty about what it's going to be like when you really need the guy. Does he wilt? In the meantime, showing up your quarterback that you really want to be successful. Yeah. Uh, one other around the NFL note, Hard Knocks, which uh, covered the Lions last year, is trying to get the Lions to agree to do another season. Part of the reason why Hard Knocks is having trouble finding a team willing to allow that kind of access in the training camp and preseason setting. So there are a handful of teams that Hard Knocks could force to do the show. They would obviously prefer not to because that's not getting a relationship off on the right foot, especially when access is the prime nugget in the whole thing. So it's going to be – I'm curious to see how this one plays out because – I think Hard Knocks is a popular series, especially for hardcore NFL fans. But they got they got to get a team to agree and it, sign off. I mean, we're at the end, we're in middle of June now. I mean, you're you're six and a half weeks away from training camp. Yeah, you, you got to get that figured out and fast. Yeah, uh, it's. I don't know. I mean, I never. we never had any of this when I was playing. This is all new to me. I've talked to guys who have had it happen to them, and they say, no, it wasn't, it wasn't bad. It was in the beginning. It was an adjustment period, getting used to it. But once it started, it started, and you just went, you know. Yeah. And the club obviously reviews every single inch of fo- – every moment of footage they mm-hmm. see. And they okay this and okay that, and they only put they only allow HBO Hard Knocks to put out approved footage of what they have done of right. the of the hundreds of they hours get final sign off of, of the hundreds of hours and that they shoot. You know, they only put on like fifty minutes of it or whatever, and they review all of it. So they only so the, none of the pr- proprietary information is shown publicly. It's still shot. So what happens to that footage that you don't show on TV? Is it lay around or does it does it get pilfered? Uh, certainly, 
all of that, and maybe none, probably none of it does, but it's always that suspicion, like you're trusting somebody with your playbook. Yeah. Right? Um, it's tricky. Yeah. And plus you got guys that are trying to make a team, and you're kind of getting in the way of their group. It just seems hugely distractive to me. Hugely distractive. But it is compelling viewing, no question yes. about it. Time to uh, pitch our topic of the day out to you. If you didn't catch it on Twitter and respond on the tweet sheet, you can do that at One Bills Live. Question here, though, is as minicamp comes to a close, is there anything you're still wondering about with the Bills heading into training camp? You let us know. 803-0550-1888-550-2550. Something that's on your mind that you're still openly wondering about that, you know, Maybe it's rolling around in your head and you're eager to see an answer to it. Could be anything. Roster, scheme, progress of a particular player. Whatever it is, you, you tell us what and why. And uh, let's, uh, let's jump on the phones here right away at 803-0550. Open line for you there, one 888 We go to Tom in Cheektawaga first. What do you got for us, Tom? Hi, gentlemen. Thank you very much for taking my call. Sure. I'd, uh, first off, Steve, I just want to tell you, a uh, huge fan of yours. You belong in the Hall of Fame, and I'd be remiss to say today is actually seven years since my dad passed. He was a huge fan of yours, and I know he'd want me to say that you belong in the Hall of Fame, and you're an absolute rock star, man. Um, my question for you guys is, uh, now Spencer Brown last year, I know a lot of people are like he underperformed. I think a lot of people were saying that. I mean, I think he's still young and has his best football ahead of him. But do you think the bringing in of McGovern and Shell was more of a depth move? Or, I mean, obviously it's to make competition and training camp and things, but do you think it's maybe to replace him and maybe let him sit back and get a year maybe watching a, a more veteran guy do the job? Yeah, good question there, Tom. Thanks, thanks for the call. Uh, McGovern starting at left guard. I think that's going to happen. I think he's going to be the starter there. He he is the largest free agent investment that this team made in the offseason in terms of total dollars. So it's my it's my belief you don't make that kind of investment for someone who's going to be a depth player. So just by the financial investment in Connor McGovern, who by the way is a proven starter in Dallas, I'd be stunned if he's not one of the starting five. That's number 1. Uh, you mentioned Brandon Shell signed in here late, you know, in June. But this is another guy who's got a proven track record as a starter. I mean, the guy's been in the league since 2016. He's been a starter since 2017. He's a seven-year starter. The guy's got 72 starts in his career, most of them at right tackle. You're darn right he's competition for Spencer Brown. Now, I'll also say this. Aaron Cromer loves Spencer Brown. Loves that guy. And I think a lot of things have been thrown in front of Spencer Brown as hurdles. You know, the guy gets drafted in 2021, doesn't have a real training camp because, you know, we're still operating under COVID rules. So he's navigating all of that. And then we know last year, coming into year two, he had off-season back surgery, basically missed all of training camp. So now he's playing catch-up for much of the first half of the season. 
And then, as Steve has pointed out from time to time, he had a high ankle sprain. And you try <laughs> kick sliding with a high ankle sprain and pass protection. Right. That's not fun. So I think they're I think they're overall, I think they're encouraged that going into a season healthy, third year, that Spencer Brown will blossom this season and prove that he deserves to be the starting right tackle. If he falls short, though, there's somebody there that's more than capable of taking the job. Yeah, Brownie and I talked before they signed Brandon Shell. It was a very it's only of late, on the last couple of weeks, that they signed Brandon Shell. And up until that point, they hadn't done anything at the tackle position. They did sign, re-sign Kessenberry, um, and you know they had Bates already here. They had Vandermark was here, and also Alec Anderson was already here. But they they didn't sign anybody with any starting, not not of Brandon Shell's you know caliber. Uh, so we thought. And I think rightfully so. I think it's still there. I think they have a lot more faith in Spencer Brown than the general public did. Uh, I don't know that everybody knew that Brown was struggling physically during the season, but he was. And I think the club appreciated his gutsiness of plowing through those injuries and playing, even though he was playing some inconsistent football, he was gutting it out and playing for him and going hard. He was... He had the best ability of all. He was available. Uh, he had availability. So I think for us, the fact that they waited so long to sign competition for him says I think that they had a little more faith than the rest of us did. Um, but I'm with you. They did a ton. This offensive line, I, I, they always grab some guys. But, man, oh, man, it's hard to I, – I think they put – more effort and assets into the offensive line this offseason and got a hold of not that you know that they didn't try before but they signed guys with that are younger bigger more athletic and have a bigger upside than guys they've signed in the past um osiris torrance is just the tip of the iceberg for that we have to take a break here but more of your phone calls when we come back so if you're holding at 803-0550 we'll get to you when we return you're on One Bills Live, presented by Collider Health. It's Buffalo Bills Radio. All right, here we are on One Bills Live. Got to get right back to the phones where we are asking you today, is there anything you're still wondering about with the Bills? Heading into training camp now that minicamp has been put to bed and the spring offseason program is done and over with. To the phones we go and to Sydney out in L.A. What do you got for us, Sydney? Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Love the show. Thanks. Um, I guess, if anything, I would just say just a tiny bit, and I'll leave it at this as the digs thing, and I, I really want to bury it. But uh, yesterday, someone called in, a lot of people called in and just kind of voiced their opinion about everything. And uh, rightfully so. And then, Steve, you kind of came in in kind of a big defense of Stefan, which, you know, all respect to, to that point, I think what really people were upset about, as Damian Woody also pointed out, was the timing. It was just like, why now? You know, kind of like, Steve, if, you know, you showed up to work today and Chris wasn't there because of a beef he had with you last week, that he could have called you, you know, over the weekend and said, hey, man, what's up with this? Why didn't you... You know what I mean? And then it's just like, why did he wait until the first day to, 
you know, bring this up. That was my only point. Just curious as to what you guys thought. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's a good call, Sydney. And you're right. I, I did kind of go off a little bit yesterday. So we were <laughs> – when you do that around here, you kind of – you know, people give – people listen and they talk to you. About, so I've been talked to about that, not by the higher up, but all my coworkers. So you're right. It didn't go perfect this week with the Steph Diggs thing. It didn't go perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, he could have handled it better, I think. And certainly, I, you know, when Sean said he was very concerned and then didn't elaborate then, it left us all twisting in the wind, figuring, trying to figure out what he meant. And then he kind of came back, and all of a sudden it was like, oh, he, he excused you? I get it. Um, Steph coming in and waiting till now to do it, um, I get that too. From I think from the outside looking in, maybe you're right. Maybe he should have done it like in February, March, April, or whenever it was. Other than this, didn't not to get in the way of a team thing. But to be very honest, this wasn't a distraction for the guys and the coaches on the field while they're practicing at minicamp. It was a distraction for all of us. This is how things go in the NFL. You do it when you're all together, so you can all take part in it. You don't want Steph coming in in April by himself for a couple of days and then Sean will say okay I'll I'll call Josh and tell him or you call Josh and tell him it's better when you're all going to be there together at the same time and if you have issues hash it out together while you're all there and throw it into the agenda for the week Um, I get it that it seems like it throws a wrench into a smooth operation that the Bills have got going here but in actuality it's like I said yesterday they build this culture to handle stuff not to prevent stuff like this from happening but to be able to handle it when it does happen and that's what the way this went down this week you're right though Sydney wasn't a perfect way for this to happen but I'll say this I was thinking about this today you know I was on in 1989 we were the bickering bills and I'll say this there's when I look back at it now there's no doubt about it that team was growing fast and it was painful it was painful. It's a, it, when you want to take another step, you're going to have to change and do something different. And sometimes it hurts. And I, on a best-case scenario, I, this, might, this is what it takes to take another step. You've got to go through some stuff where you're going to say, hey, listen, we got to, you know, guys got to squawk, and there's going to be some pain. And you're going to have to say goodbye to some player. We did that in 1989. The next year – some of our older leadership on that team was let go so that the young, good, great players-to-be could make it their team. And I'm not saying this has anything to do with the leadership or who, you know, letting guys go or cutting them, but those kind of, the kind of pain we're talking about and the strife and arguments and disagreements is part of the process it takes to get better and grow. And while this didn't seem perfect from our end of it, you know, outside the locker room and looking in at it from the fishbowl these guys live live in, I think it was far more normal than maybe we give it credit for. Yeah. I would say timing could have been better. Agreed, Sydney. But a lot of times hard conversations and painful conversations, as Steve alluded to, are never perfect. And the fact that this wasn't, and yet they still came through it and found a resolution, I think speaks even more to the strength of the culture here when yeah, you think about it. And I'll say this too. You have those hard conversations. That's when you can really – I mean, there is no filter, you know. And I'm not saying these guys were in there screaming and jumping, pounding on the desk and, you know, got into a shoving match. You know, like, nothing like that. 
I'm just saying when you, when you have hard conversations, it's when you can finally be the most honest. And if you're going to grow in a relationship, it takes conversations like that. Yeah. And so that's, that's kind of my point. You're right. It wasn't, I didn't, it didn't, wasn't perfect at all. Maybe the timing of it, maybe how either side handled it. But I think too, by the evidence yesterday and what we've heard and what Sean said, I, they got through it. Yep. Let's go back to the phones and to Mark in West Seneca. What do you got for us, Mark? Hey, Brownie. How's Steve? Uh, I got a question that uh, I was wondering if you guys think is this crazy. And then I'd like to make a real quick comment about the stuff thing. Okay. Um, my, my question is this. Um, on the surface, physically, do you think the Bills would ever entertain um, starting to groom Osiris Tyrant, uh, Torrance as the next center? On uh, you know, physically to me, that huge body in the middle, his ability to anchor into the ground, um, and then with the ability to plug Edwards and McGovern in, that would be a formidable size-wise middle of an offensive line. And assuming that he could slowly grasp the mental aspect of that, is that? A, and I understand he probably has never played center, and if it maybe for a heartbeat he did, but. Uh, I've never heard it reported, but is that a crazy idea to think at this level that you start to maybe move a guy or or uh, grooming him to a, n- a new position? That's that's my question. Uh, as far as the dig scene goes, plenty of learning aspects for both sides. Um, for de- for Steph, I think he could have handled it better. Uh, as far as the timing question goes, and there's so much assumptions being made still to this hour. We don't know what, what, if any, communications were had between January to now, between Steph and management of the Bills. That's we have point. absolutely no idea. So that's number one. And number two, as far as Sean, I respect how he keeps everything in-house, but sometimes he's a little bit too close to the vest. My point is this. What he said yesterday in letting us know that they actually – gave him an excused absence, and, and the way he phrased it, if he would have said those words exactly like he did yesterday on Tuesday, 90% of the fire would have been put out. Right. So That's at both right. sides, learning aspect for both. So thanks, yeah. guys. Yeah, no problem, Mark. I mean, as far – yeah, and I don't think we need to rehash that stuff. We just kind of did five minutes earlier. But I will say with regard to Osiris Torrance – I'm never going to say never, but I don't see it for him this year in any capacity. And the reason why is you're you're probably putting too much on his plate. We just talked at the top of the show about how much rookies have to deal with outside of football and all the stuff that goes the ancillary stuff that goes around football. Where am I going to live? You know, who's going to how am I going to cook meals? Who's cooking my meals? Am I ordering meals? Am I making my own food? Am I going to learn how to cook? What am I like? It's there's a laundry list of things. So Putting him out of his comfort zone on the football field, too, I don't know if that's the best recipe for success for him. So I'll never say never. Maybe two years from now they say, hey, this might not be a bad idea, but right now for his rookie year, no. My answer would be no. I get your idea, though, putting just the biggest body you can down inside. I, and and I, I couldn't tell you how diff- – I, I don't know. I don't know how difficult it is to move from guard down to center. Um Certainly, the center historically is the guy that recognizes the defense, sets the protections, and makes some calls down inside there. If, if, if some for some of you who don't realize it, when you're down close to the field and you're in a practice and all that, 
there's a lot of yelling and screaming going on during the play. You can't really hear it on the broadcast if you watch it on TV. And a lot of that comes from the big guys up front. The center call makes calls that tell the other four guys on the line of scrimmage and the, and the tight end or whoever's in there, this is how we're going to block these guys right now. Here's what's going to go. And he has these you know code words that lets these guys know. It takes a lot of mental acuity to do that. If you're not used – now, Osiris Torrance has been playing guard for as long as you can think of. He's heard it done, seen it done, and taken part in that a ton. So he would know what would be expected of him as a center. But having to do it and, and make those calls and having the wherewithal to do it and making sure that the quarterback has the football after you're done snapping it, um, it sounds simple, but it's not that easy. And I get the idea. Let's get the biggest dudes we can find, put them down inside, and let's go. I'm all about it. I'm all about it. I love that idea. But it doesn't mean that, you know, David Edwards couldn't be that guy, and he's just as big and strong. You know, any one of those guys could be a fit. But for the time being, Mitch Morris is a really, really good center. And unless he gets hurt, there's no reason to put anybody else in there. We have to take a break here, but if you're holding at 803-0550, hang tight. We'll get to you. Butch on the east side, Tony in Buffalo, and others holding at 803-0550. We're back with more phone calls in a second here on One Bills Live. Stay tuned. To the phones we go, where we got people holding. Get to as many of you as we can. We go to Butch on the east side next. What do you got, Butch? Gentlemen, gentlemen, it's so good to hear your voice and talk to you again. It's been a while. I've been listening from a distance, and I've been wanting to call you guys. But I'm going to get right into it. I got, like, two folders and a small one, but I got to definitely do it. And I appreciate your time that you're giving me. Number one, I'm going to open up this folder. I, I wish she was there, but I want to just say to the queen of one Bills drive, Miss Maddie G. Uh, I want to just say Miss Maddie G represented the way I was raised by my mom and my dad. Uh, about being a, a master of ceremonies or being uh, when you speak to people or speak at different functions or different organizations. I watched Miss Maddie G go to the groundbreaking announcement of the new stadium and mas- be the master of ceremonies of that event. And I just want to say applaud and send congratulations to all her educational institutions <laughs> that actually put that actually put jewels in her in her mind and her parents and her grandparents, anybody yep. affiliated with her, plus herself when she's in the bathroom looking at me, they, they give her the confidence to be who she is. Yeah, she did a great job. She, she did outstanding job. She represented the fan base, and I want to applaud her for that. Thank you so much, Ms. Maddie G. Second photo, I want to get to it right away, is the, the, the Stefan Diggs situation. Years ago when Stefan first came to Buffalo, I met Stefan at an eatery. And, uh, you know, he was, you know, just talking. I shook his hand and told welcome to Buffalo, yada, yada. And he was asking questions about the city and different areas and different places to go and such and things of that nature. And uh, he just, and then he spoke about, like Steve and those guys, about the four Super Bowls. And I told him, listen, we could have went to six. And he said, what do you mean? I said, we could have went to Cleveland when Ronnie Howard, the ball went off his hands. We lost at 88 to Cincinnati uh, at AFC Championship. We went four straight after. People forget that. But I said at the same time, he, he said, well, I'm determined to bring those and revenge those situations. And I appreciated that. This was years ago. Now, when he went off what he did the other day, 
I, I knew that was how I was just waiting for, for it to get done. I saw it last year at the Cincinnati game. This is what it really is about, per se. He's, he worked so hard, just like Vaughn and, 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 and uh, Josh said, on his craft, that he's not playing just to make Buffalo relevant again. He's not playing just so we're back on the map and get Monday night and Thursday night games to get accolades from around the world. He wants to bring those things that Steve and those guys were shooting for back to Buffalo. And when during the second half of the season, this is when it all began. I saw him at a function giving out toys. When the, when, the, when the route changed, when everybody criticized Josh Allen about throwing interceptions, and Ken Dorsey went ahead and changed the routes so they throw more to the outside so Josh don't throw down the middle. Now, saying that, we need players, just like you said, Stephen. Even though, Steve, you might uh, – I'm going to say apologize for what you said yesterday. I don't, I don't – I didn't take it that way. I took it that you defended what you had to say. You meant what you had to say. And the caller – is not in the business of what you guys do, really don't know, like you said, the bickering bills, what people don't really understand, when the bickering bills happened and the Buffalo News blew it out of a portion, that team came together and they, they got more, they got like a solid fist and they punched the walls and they went back to the Super Bowl. Now, you got a guy here that's saying that I'm not working hard, Coach or Brandon, and I love you guys, Brandon, Coach, but I ain't working hard all season. Just to come here, just to say, well, we win 13-3, and three. We, won a, we won a division. I come here to win a chip. 13 seconds, that's why that kid, when the Kansas City beat us, and he stood on the field, and yeah. the coach had to walk out there and really bring him back, is because that's what he wants. Now, the last thing, but not less, is that I appreciate uh, the way this team is being built. Your question is, what can we do and what are we expecting better? I'm expecting that same scenario what I'm speaking about of how Ken Dorsey will allow Josh Allen, don't try to handle him and let him be who he is. That receiving court that Steve played for, that the rest of them, I think we're going to be deep. I'm going to watch the cuts that, watch the trades like you guys said during the season, maybe with the Giants predominantly, but I'm looking forward to the season. But again, thank you so much for your time. It's good to hear yeah. you guys' voices again. I love you guys. And please send Maddie G, the queen of one, that, one, yeah. one Bill's live. Uh, what I said and tell her thank you so much on behalf of my family. Yeah, no problem, Thanks. Butch. Thanks, Thanks for the Butch. call. I mean, I, we agree with you. Maddie's, it's, she's great to work I told with. Her, I told her right after. You did great. She did. She did great. And thanks for noticing Butch and saying something. But, I mean, as far as Steph, I mean, I think he's preaching to the choir, though. This whole thing about him having this burning passion to win, he's preaching to the choir. Sean McDermott is obsessed with it. Like, this guy lives it every single minute of every single day. He plans everything. He's methodical. He's meticulous. And it's all about the team and putting it in the best position to succeed and win. And so I think when you have those hard conversations that those people had, him, Josh, Coach, whoever else was involved, I think there's a better understanding of, oh, he wants to win just as bad as I do. I mean, yeah. Sean McDermott did something here that – in all the coaches that I've covered here in the 20-plus years of covering this team, I had never heard of before. At the end of a season, coaches in exit interviews tell players what they can do to make themselves better for the next season. They'll give them a list based on film study, daily work habits, whatever it is. The second season, After the second season in 2018, Sean McDermott brought that to his players and asked them to tell him and his coaching staff how they could do better. 
It was a complete role reversal. I've never heard of it before, especially at the professional level. But I think it just demonstrates the lengths that Coach McDermott is willing. He's opening himself up to vulnerability to his own players and say, you tell me how I can help you be better on the field. That's how far McDermott and his staff are willing to go to make this team better. And I don't, I don't think it gets enough credit anywhere. But I, I wouldn't be surprised if Steph Diggs comes in here thinking, I have the, the biggest burning passion to win of anybody in this building and found out, oh, you know what? There's other people that care just as much as I do. Yeah, and I think, too, that you know, hard conversations are just that. They're hard because they're completely honest. And, and I think their ability and willingness to do that speaks a lot about the culture and that and, and I'll say it again the culture isn't built to prevent problems like this it's built to embrace them and overcome them together and that's what they did um yeah did it go perfect no but it didn't go perfect because why because none of us knew what was going on we weren't allowed to be in on it <laughs> they don't need us uh, to be in that conversation they can handle it and they did and it's there it probably won't be the last time I, I hate to say it like that you know except but these conversations are going to be ongoing because I think in much regard to like they were in 2017, 18, and 19, I think this team has taken another step of growth. We like – Brownie and I love this roster more than we've talk, – we talk about this roster in more glowing words than we have any other roster that they've had. And I think they're growing. And I think that comes with its share of pain. And, and hardships this, and, and playoff disappointment. Right. And I think this conversation this week is just one of those aspects that, that's going to be painful for the team to go through. We may not find out about all of it or how it's going to work. Um, there may be some guys on the team that all of us love and respect that may not be here. There may be coaches that won't be here. There may be all of that stuff. It's painful to grow. And I think this is part of that. Yeah. Break time for us here. When we come back for hour number two, we will get to your phone calls, but not before we welcome in NFL analyst and friend of the show, Mike Giardi. He's got his ear to the ground on the AFC East, including what's going on up there with D-Hop on his visit to New England today. We'll find out what's going on next. Here on One Bills Live, presented by Collider Health, it's Buffalo Bills Radio. Live, presented by Kaleida Health. All right, hour number two on a Thursday. Chris Brown, Steve Tasker with you, and happy to be joined now by NFL analyst Mike Giardi, friend of the show, and a man with his ear to the ground on the AFC East. Mike, how you doing? Enjoying your summer? Uh, good, to, good to see you guys. Good to talk to you. Uh, rather uneventful week, huh? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just right. a little bit. What, give us your idea. I mean, what have you? Heard, what's your take on what has happened here and how they handled this little discussion yeah very interesting right because it felt as though there had been a little bit of a disconnect between Steph and whomever team offense coordinator head coach dating back to the end of last year but 
figured that with all this time that was gone on in between, that even though he wasn't showing up for the OTAs, not that big a deal. He'll be there at mandatory minicamp, and they'll be in a good place. And to have Sean come out and say what he said, uh, obviously sent everybody sort of in full panic mode, like what's going on here. To be able to get him back on the field yesterday, albeit for just the individual stuff, and to see him interact with his teammates, I think tells you um, that things are in a better place, obviously. So whatever is going on there is probably something that you have to pay attention to going forward. But if it was dire, I don't think that Steph would have shown his face and, and put on the gear yesterday. Right. And look, we, we've heard, and I'm going to kind of switch gears on this because quite frankly, Mike, I'm a little tired about it or tired of it already <laughs> after two days um, from one receiver to another DeAndre Hopkins, as we know, is visiting New England today. He's already visited with Tennessee. He's said he's going to take his time with this in terms of making a decision. Do you see any way that New England doesn't let him get out of town without a contract? Yeah, this is an interesting one, right? Because I I don't think DeAndre's in any rush to sign with anybody at this point. Um, I think the market's been slower to develop than he thought. I think the Odell Beckham contract has sort of either slowed things down, screwed things up, however you want to look at it. Um, because I know the Chiefs felt like before the draft and when they're having conversations with Arizona that, you know, they felt like they were close on some things. And then all of a sudden, you know, that OBJ contract sort of continues to push. And and now the player saying, well, I play. OBJ doesn't even play. I, I've been out there every year. I've been playing double-digit games and, and Beckham's barely played the last five seasons. So, why am I not worth the same kind of money? So I, I still think that he wants to get as much money as humanly possible, which is, you know, putting teams like Kansas City, like Buffalo in a difficult spot because I'm sure there's interest. But at what cost? How much do you have to do to make it happen? Um, and I, I look, if I'm DeAndre, I keep waiting. You know, I maybe it's maybe it's training camp. Maybe somebody goes down uh, in the course of training camp and all of a sudden a team that thinks that they can win says, yeah, we wouldn't give you the bag before, but we'll give you it now. Yeah, that would really come down to just a handful of teams, though. And at this point, those teams, particularly with the ones like Buffalo, Kansas City, and Cincinnati, uh, to name a few, and, and perhaps uh, L.A. as well, the Chargers, those teams have got a pretty strong roster. It's pretty set right now. And they're not, they weren't building their roster to have cap space to add a guy like DeAndre Hopkins. They're moving on. They've already moved on before he even became available. So if a team that is thinks they can win and still has that cap money, it doesn't seem to be one of the teams we're talking about. Yeah, and I think that's the interesting part now is is he has DeAndre since he became officially became a free agent, how many teams have reached out and does he think and this is where you know, does he leave New England without a contract? You know, does he think that there's still more out there than he can get from, say, New England or Tennessee or even Houston, who he's rumored to have met with as well? And look, from everybody you talk to around the league, the general consensus has been he still wants his money. And I don't, I, I'll say this a million times. I, I never fault any player for wanting every single dollar that they can possibly get because we know, you know your career lifespan is not very long in the National Football League. But at this point, because of it being past free agency because of dragging your feet on maybe some potential trades before the draft. Now you're in a situation where you're right. The money has dried up in a lot of places or teams just said, look, we're, this is what we are. This is what we're going to do going forward. And unless something catastrophic happens, he's not part of our plans. 
As far as the Bills, you know, reported interest in Hopkins when this first came down, you know, calling about a trade option before he was released by Arizona. And then he's out there as a free agent. The Bills create more cap space with the Ed Oliver extension and choose to spend the money on Leonard Floyd on a one-year $7 million deal. To me, that that pretty much is the tea leaves we're all looking for here as it pertains to Buffalo, right? Yeah, it certainly feels that way. And and look, uh, given his brothers, I think Sean's going to pick defense over offense 99 out of 100 times. But I think when you look at some of the past seasons and maybe if you want to term them failures, but not getting as far as they would like, at times they've just had a hard time getting off the field on third down and adding someone like Leonard Floyd, who still has plenty of gas in the tank, um, to A, sort of help buffer if Vaughn's not ready to go for week one, and he's saying between week one and week six is his aim, um, allows you that. And then, hey, if you don't get the production out of Rousseau you want or you don't get a leap from Epinesa or Boogie Basham, that you have someone in Floyd who he, he, he's been there, done it. He's won a Super Bowl. He's, he's got that kind of skill. So um, I like the signing for them. I just I think it does speak a little bit to maybe those younger players that I just mentioned, not Rousseau so much as the other two, not really developing to the point where, you know, you can say, no, we trust these guys. We believe these guys can help us on third down in, in important games. Now saying this guy's just better than those guys right now. And we're with our window right now. Let's let's do something like this. Let's help this maybe push us over the top defensively. What do you think it does to the Bills uh, outlook now that? Tremaine Edmonds is out of the building and they've got four, three, four, five guys vying for his spot. I mean, it's such a competitive spot, right? And it's such an important spot in, in Sean's defense. And you look, I, I think we kind of all saw the writing on the wall that someone was going to pay Tremaine more than the bills were going to be able to extend to when you look at sort of the financial situation that they're in and, and maybe some of the moves that they would have to make to, allow that to happen. Then, you know, signing Milano to the extension as well. So, all right, well, if we're going to, those two have played together for a long time, we're not going to lose both of them. We're going to have at least one of them for an extended period of time and, and sort of picking Milano in that regard. But I think that's a huge competition because I think there is a lot on whoever that player's shoulder is in the middle of the defense, what Sean wants, the communication, what Tremaine brought to the position. Now, it's not just what this new player can do and how he can influence the defense, but we're going to be comparing it to what Tremaine was able to do. And look, Tremaine's, as we've talked about a million times, a lot of experience in the league, still a young player, still getting better. So those are those are big shoes to fill for sure. Swinging it back to New England real quick here, Mike. We've heard reports out of, you know, Patriots spring practices that the Gesicki-Hunter-Henry combo could lead to a greater use of 12 personnel for New England going forward under Bill O'Brien, the OC that's back in the fold. We've heard the same thing here in Buffalo with with Dalton Kincaid being added to this offense with Dawson Knox. Are we sensing that there's a there's a trend developing here in the league where 12 personnel is suddenly going to be a little bit more in vogue going forward? Well, I think because of some of the players that we're talking about, and obviously we haven't seen Dalton play an actual NFL football game, but just sort of he's a he's a big slot more than he is a tight end, right? Yeah. And Gasecki, I don't think anyone views Gasecki as a tight end, even though that's what's next to his name, right? He's a he's a big wide receiver, he's a big slot. Uh, I think that's part of it. You know, you're just sort of looking at different ways to get this. I think the tight end position in general is cheaper 
You're not having to spend as much money as you would on a top flight receiver. You draft the tight end. Again, there's a little bit more controlled cost or sign a tight end. There's a little bit more controlled cost in that regard. I would also say just look from the New England standpoint. They didn't have a lot of their receivers running around during OTAs and minicamp. Some guys dealing with injuries, Tyquan Thornton, their second round pick from a year ago as a hamstring issue. Juju Smith-Schuster still rehabbing an injury from last year with the Chiefs. And then when you start to look at his career and how it's gone the last few years with the injuries, makes you wonder about the money that was allocated towards him and what that's going to look like here uh, going forward. I would say based on just what I saw in minicamp, mandatory minicamp, they had no other choice but to throw to those guys and have those guys on the field a lot because there wasn't a whole lot around them to uh, to work with. What's Bill O'Brien said this last couple of weeks, uh, both in the OTAs and now the the mandatory minicamp? What's his message been? Or what's his t- attitude been? Yeah, we haven't talked. To, we haven't been allowed to talk to Billy for a few weeks. Uh, his message, though, at the beginning of all this was just clean slate. And I think that um, speaks to a lot of different people on the offensive side of the ball, certainly the quarterback. Mac Jones, who, you know, after a pretty good rookie season, it was a disaster in year two. Uh, And there are some people here who believe, you know, Bailey Zappi is actual real competition for him. Uh, I don't I don't see that personally, but um, there are some people that believe that there are at least there's at least one coach, not Bill O'Brien, who believes that Zappi is a better player than Mac Jones. So there might be a little bit. We saw a little bit in mandatory minicamp where Zappi was working with the ones uh, over Jones, but mostly it was Jones, and mostly Jones looked like the better, the better player. I just think, and you guys saw it, you saw it twice, offensively, and, you, and we we talked about it. Uh, it was talked about ad nauseum. They had no plan last year, and when someone had an answer for whatever that plan was, that, that very limited plan, they had no counter, and that was Bill Belichick putting Joe Judge and Matt Patricia. Matt Patricia primarily is the play caller in charge of that offense. It was ugly. It was a mess. And quite frankly, they got what they deserved based on what they did. And now you're in the third year of a first round pick rookie quarterback, you know, on that rookie deal. And you're on your third offensive coordinator. So uh, they've done a lot of things that you they would look at back in the day and say, that's how bad bad franchises operate. Well, I think the last three years, that's sort of been their playbook. Okay, so with that change in mind, look, I think if somebody asked what's the most important or seismic move in the division, they would unquestionably say Aaron Rodgers being acquired by the Jets. What comes after that, though? Is it Vic Fangio going to Miami? Is it is it you know O'Brien? Is it yeah. O'Brien going back to New England? Is it something else? What what comes in second there in terms of a seismic shift in the division? So I would say that that's a I, the both names are perfect. I would say they're they're a tie, right? Because when you look at what Fangio inherits in Miami there's some talent defensively but they played a totally different way they played the Brian Flores the zero blitz be aggressive as all get out that's not how Vic's going to play in fact Vic is kind of a stark contrast from that Vic carries a lot more weight I think than Josh Boyer who is now the deposed uh, Dolphins defensive coordinator they make the deal for Jalen Ramsey some say he doesn't run as well as he used to I have a feeling that he's going to be pretty motivated this year. Xavier Howard coming off a bad year as well. I think he'll be pretty motivated. So I would say Fangio gives that defense a jolt that they haven't had since Flores walked out the door or was pushed out the door. And for for the Patriots, having someone who has a plan, who has a counter to your counter at the very least, um, puts them in a far better position than they were last year. And look, let's be real. Uh, the clock's ticking on Mac Jones now, regardless of whether you want to throw out last year because of who was coaching him. He didn't play well. 
There are now questions about him going forward. The beginning of their schedule is very difficult. Like it wouldn't surprise me if it sort of went sideways early that he's not the quarterback by the midseason of, of next year. Again, if it goes poorly, but he's got O'Brien, he's got some more pieces. Uh, now he's got an opportunity at sink or swim. Yeah. I, wow. I, <laughs> it could be. Out it's interesting too because all three of the teams that are chasing that were you know ostensibly chasing Buffalo, they all made some moves that Ken O'Brien or Bill O'Brien is is a is a big move. Vic Fangio is I think as important a change in the in the division as the Aaron Rodgers change in New York. And certainly, I don't know, and we've seen it before. Like look at last year in Denver where they thought just plugging in a new guy at quarterback is going to make all the difference. Um, it takes more than that, I think, to make it happen. Aaron Rodgers has had good success uh, with Nathaniel Hackett, at offensive coordinator. We'll see if that continues. But I think all three teams, other than Buffalo in the division, do have reason for optimism. But those reasons are also big question marks. And I, I think those – Yeah. Yeah, go ahead. No, see, I, I think it's a great point because if, even though Leslie Frazier is no longer here, I think we all believe Sean had his fingerprints – and his hands all over that defense. So, okay, yes, is there a little bit more pressure on Sean now that he's assuming that role? Yeah, I think it's clear. There's there's one less person that you can say, you know, Leslie wasn't good enough in the big, you know, whatever. He couldn't get our defense ready to play in the big spots. Now he's taking that on himself. But I think in the other places now, there's been some seismic changes. You know, obviously the quarterback for the Jets, which look, even if Aaron Rodgers is Aaron Rodgers of last year, which by all accounts wasn't, that's not a very good Aaron Rodgers. It's still way better than what they had at their position last year and should you know, definitely, I think, elevate them to sort of playoff status. But then, like, what's Robert Sala as a coach? We don't we, – do we really know? We don't really know because I think we're not sure. Obviously, offense has been a disaster. Last year they were off to a really nice start and then just collapsed down the stretch. Do you put that all on the quarterback or does the coach bear some responsibility for that? Um, Mike McDaniels, right? They hire him. One of the reasons they hire him is that he's a great run game coordinator. Guess who doesn't run the ball? The Miami Dolphins. So there, I think there are some interesting uh, questions, not only from a player acquisition perspective, but from a coaching perspective where here in Buffalo, you know, you know what Sean is, right? And I think he sort of, even though Dorsey is only in his second year as the OC, I think you kind of know what he wants the offensive DNA to be. So uh, I think a lot of teams, there could be some tinkering early on. And, you know, who knows? Who knows how it works? Mike, thanks for the time. As always, enjoy your summer. We'll uh, catch up with you around training camp time. Thanks, Mike. Looking forward to it, guys. Hit them straight. Yeah. That's Mike Giardi joining us, NFL analyst here on the show. Always appreciate his insight, especially with the AFC East, which he keeps his ear to the ground on pretty uh, diligently. So we want to turn back to the phones, though, because we had some people waiting for a while. As we've been asking you today, with minicamp over and training camp on the horizon, anything you're still wondering about with this Bills team, we go to Tony in Buffalo who's been waiting patiently. What do you got for us, Tony? Yes, fellas, how you doing? Good, good. Chris, Steve, what's going on, y'all? Steve, man, I love it when people mention the Hall of Fame because it really looked like when you look down, you know, doing your grocery list and your crossword puzzle, man, you'd be stink. You know what I mean? You'd be like, yo. <laughs> I am not. I'm probably, thanks, it. Tony, that's nice of you. I – I do not lay awake at night worrying about that, but I appreciate you. No doubt. Second, we had to get rid of Frazier. We had to get we had to get rid of Tremaine Edmonds. Think about it, y'all. The four the, the, the Tremaine Edmonds entire four year contract with the fifth year pickup, the middle of the field was wide open. 
it was exploited year after year after year. I mean, you got to have your blood pressure pills like, yo, what's going on? Leslie Frazier, excellent coach, but the, the defense was too relaxed. I don't care what anybody got to say about the Buffalo Bills. Sometimes no noise is the best noise. Let them sleep because with McDermott call, calling the plays, oh, man, all hell about to break loose. The Buffalo Bills is a fully loaded clip. Third of all, my, I'm still scratching my head on the quarterback, the backup situation with the quarterback. God forbid anything happened to Allen. Who's this guy? Who's these guys sitting behind him? Okay. Is, are, they, are, they, are they skillful enough to hold the fort down? God forbid anything happened to Allen. He got to sit out a couple of games. What's up with those guys? I'm going to hang up, man. I, I, you know, I'll speak to you you know, another time. All right. Thanks, Tony. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, you've got Kyle Allen and Matt Barkley, who's been here a while on and off. And they're backups. Um, I mean, that's what they are. Kyle Allen, obviously the younger of the two players there, a little bit more athletic. But it's hard because <laughs> when your starter's Josh Allen, yeah, there's there's inevitably going to be a drop-off. And seeing that drop-off, I, I almost feel like Kyle Allen and Matt Barkley don't get a fair shake because – there's really nobody else that can play like Josh. And so it, it puts them maybe even more under the microscope than most backup quarterbacks are. I will say that Kyle Allen's been around the block. He's been pressed into action at times. His statistics aren't going to overwhelm you. But I think if you need somebody to start a couple of games for you, he can manage the game for you. I don't think you should expect fireworks, unbelievable plays, you're just looking for somebody to get you through a game, put you in a position to win. Yeah, I'm not. I don't want to jinx anything, and I don't, although I don't think I would. You look at the string of quarterbacks in the league who have started the most games in a row. Uh, Josh Allen has 71 starts in a row. The next best one, I think, is Pat Mahomes, who has 35. Um, Josh's one of Josh's abilities, along with all the stuff he plays football as, is his availability. The guy shows up. Um, we all worry about how, you know, dangerous it is and how he plays the game and yada, yada, and all that. The guy hasn't missed a start in 71 games. Um, Pat Mahomes is, I think, second with like 35 straight starts. Um, that's just the way it is. Um, you hope you never get down to that. Um, and if you do, Brownie's right. Unless you got John Elway in his prime behind Josh, you ain't got nobody. So, uh, I like I like Kyle nobody Allen. that measures up. We should yeah, say I like Barkley. And let's forget like Bark. You can say what you want. Barkley came in and in four days in 2017 lit the Jets up. Yeah, off the to street. 10. Then he comes in week 17, last game of the season in 2020, 2020. Yeah, and he lights the 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 uh, Miami Dolphins up. Uh, he beats them himself in a half of football. Uh, that's when they beat him 56-26 or something yeah. like that. Um, so Barkley can throw it, and I think he plays in a way that's unafraid. Uh, but you're but you're right. I mean, you can say what you want about all the back. There's nobody that's going to beat Josh when he gets in there. And if Josh goes down, the team's got problems. There's no question about it, and everybody knows it. Yeah. Um, and just every team will say the same it. thing. If Tua <laughs> goes down – they got problems. If Aaron Rodgers goes down, they got problems. If blah, blah, Joe Burrow, if Mahomes, and that, 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 that. That's just the way it is. It's yeah. the world we live in. 
Back to the phones and to Greg in Palmyra. What do you got for us, Greg? Hi. I, uh, earlier, a caller called uh, basically criticizing Spencer Brown or whatever. I'm calling to defend Spencer Brown. Uh, during the offseason, I don't have much of a life. I'm retired. I watched all the Bills games replayed on TV. And Spencer Brown, he was, he was fine. He, you'd watch him hit his man, open a hole, and then he'd go downfield and pick up another guy. So uh, I think people uh, think that Spencer Brown's another Cody Ford. He, he's not. And Roger Saffold was the problem last year. You have one guy in the line that's weak, and it makes the whole line look bad. So my kudos to Spencer Brown. He's going to be awesome this year. Go Bills. Yeah, thanks, Greg. I, I do – I do tend to think in year three that he will blossom. We've seen other examples of that in Bill's uniform before under the player development program that they have here. So I would tend to agree with you that I would expect bigger and better things from Spencer, who I think would be the first to tell you last year was an uneven season for him for a multitude of reasons that were not really connected to his willingness to win on every single snap. We mentioned the injuries, not only the back surgery in the offseason, but the high ankle sprain during the season – it just compromised his effectiveness as a player. So that's what made it so – that's a, in large part what made it so difficult for him at times last year. So One thing for sure that can't be denied, he's, he's off to a better start this offseason and preseason than he was a year ago. Um, he gets to play this offseason. He gets to practice this offseason. He gets to get better this offseason instead of healing up this offseason. So, at the very least, until something happens, unless something happens where he gets another injury or whatever, he's way ahead this season from where he was a year ago. Despite, you know, including the fact that he's got an entire season under his belt now and playing with challenges that none of us knew. Coming out and playing, getting a chance to play healthy for a minute at least, is going to get him off to a better start than he got last year. Yeah. Let's uh, squeeze in Terry and East Aurora here who's been waiting patiently. What do you got for us, Terry? Hi. Hey, how are you guys, man? Yeah. I got to tell you, this is an honor to talk to a legend. And you, Steve. Thank you. <laughs> Appreciate it. I get um, you. <laughs> Steve, I, I saw I was just about to walk up to you at the Wayland a couple weeks ago, but uh, I was shy and a little gassy, so I stopped. But anyways, <laughs> um, listen, uh, I wonder about logistically, um, when do these guys get – their playbooks. My thinking is perhaps Stefan Diggs was maybe sold some wolf tickets during the offseason. Got to look at the playbook. It maybe had a little temper tantrum. What do you guys think? Interesting uh, theory. Maybe. I, I kind of doubt uh, it. Yeah, I would um, lean against it. Because so much of what you get in the playbook is so comprehensive. It, you, can't, you can't look at a playbook and say, wow, they're never going to throw to me. That's yeah. not the way it works. Right. You get a game plan. And you may think, okay, they're not going to throw to me. Right. But a playbook. It's too voluminous. Is, it's huge. So It's yeah. got everything under the sun. There's right. no way to look at that and discern, I'm not part of the plan. Now, if they got into a. Especially when you're the number one option in the passing game. Exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, so I doubt that it had anything to do with the playbook. Yeah. So um, beca just because of what we're saying. We got to take a break here, but Bill in Rochester, Frank in Rochester will lead us off when we return. More of your phone calls next here on One Bills Live, presented by Kaleida Health. It's Buffalo Bills Radio.
All right, back here on One Bills Live. Chris Brown, Steve Tasker with you. And we want to get back to the phones where we are asking you, now that minicamp is in the books, we wait training camp five and a half to six weeks away. Is there anything you're still wondering about with the Bills? Fire it off at us at 803-0550, 1-888-550-2550, the number to get on board, open lines for you there. But we lead off with Bill in Rochester here. What do you got, Bill? Hi, Chris and Steve. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Uh, yeah, I am wondering, as I think most of our Bills fans still are, about what the heck happened yesterday. And it's like uh, 40 years of this. We've got the best fan base in the entire league, and we've gone through this with minus zero to windshield factors of minus 26 with the Jets game back in that January. Uh, story upon story of all of the support we've had of this team. Now it's at the point where we've got, I think, the best combination of players that love each other, and all of a sudden, here we go again. We've got another bad penny showing up. And we, it's, we just don't need one more iota of disruption. And uh, here we are, like uh, six months later since the Cincinnati game, and, uh, <clears throat> and Diggs has some problem going on with his mind. Who the heck knows what it is? And uh, the players and the fans have always said, if you had a bad play, get over it, you know, go on to the next play. And he's just, it seems like he can't make that step. He's bringing down the team. And I think everybody is wondering what the heck happened. So um, that's pretty much my two cents. I'm really disappointed in him. I don't think he's a team player. He's a great player, but he's really uh, setting us back. And is this going to happen again in September? All right, Who Bill, knows? All right, Bill, let me, so let I, me just, I hope it comes to light. Let me just alleviate your, your fears and concerns. Uh, and concerns. Th- this is not a big deal. It is not a big deal. He's not distracting the team. He's not dragging them down. He's not a distraction. He's not a me guy. He's not a, a, la- he's not a selfish guy. None of that is the case. And, and I know, too, that when all of us were left wondering what was going on when he didn't show up and then we found out later he was excused, all the stuff that has happened since then, uh, it kind of blew it out of the water. But we were all left there speculating and all kind. And, I mean, it's what the Internet does best. Yeah, it's the full get carried away, right? And that's what happened. So this is not any of the fearful scenarios that you just outlined. That's all I can say. And all, and all I'll add to that, because I don't think it's been said enough, I think he's, when these things take place, I think they're somewhat misunderstood in terms of his motivation. There might not be another player on the roster with as much of a burning passion to win the whole damn thing more than Stephon Diggs. And I'm not going to pretend to know how he handled these things, and if he did it in the exact best way. But his intentions are good. I'm confident of that. How he handled them, we can debate those every, every day until Sunday. But this guy has a burning passion to win a championship, and if he feels he needs to bring uncomfortable conversations up because he believes the outcome will make everybody better, he has the courage to have those conversations instead of sitting idly by and watching the results be not good enough, which, have been, which unfortunately has been the case each of the last three years. He's trying to enact change for the better here, even at the expense of him being painted in a poor light publicly. So 
in my estimation, that takes some courage. And, and he, let's not forget, he's a team captain. He was voted by his teammates to do that. And leadership speaks up when something needs to be said. Again, I'm not going to pretend to know if it was handled the right way or not, but I, I will say it again. I think his intentions were pure in terms of what's best for the team and its future going forward. So yeah. I don't share your concerns. Right. I, I you know, in the, in the context of the way we've been saying it, I'm, I'm much more comforted by it than I have been because we, we've, we've talked about how, you know, and, and some people will say, well, you know, it's the same old, same old thing. Well, that's exactly why a guy like Steph speaks up. I ain't doing this again like we did it. We're going to do it different. We're going to do it better. Uh, even if everything looks the same, there's going to be either a different – there's going to be some differences that are going to make the difference. Uh, that's when he's, you guys like this speak up. Um, and I've said it today a lot. I think this is – these kind of incidents and these conversations that we've heard, we, although we have no idea what this conversation was about. Uh, but in general, difficult conversations happen when you're trying to grow, when you're trying to take it to another level, either a relationship, a family matter, or a business relationship or business deal difficult conversations advance you and that's what that's what i see here right and steve's been part of professional sports team locker room dynamics he knows what goes on in there and these kinds of conversations do happen and they may happen again and you shouldn't be as concerned then either yeah there may you may not ever hear about other difficult conversations that happen or have happened. This one happens to be at a time when all of a sudden Steph disappears because Sean sends him home. And, you know, these guys, it doesn't sit well with guys like Steph and Josh and Mitch Morse and Micah and Jordan Poyer. It doesn't sit well with them when their season ends like it has the last couple, three years. And it if doesn't he, sit well. Yeah. And if he feels like there's any aspect of how they're doing things that's probably not going to help them get to where they want to go. He's going to, he's, if he's not going to demand change, he's at least going to ask questions. And maybe that's all it was. Maybe he's just asking questions. He needed some clarity on some subjects. Coach McDermott, Josh, whoever was talking to him, gave him the right answers, and there you are. Let's go back to the phones and to Ryan in Albany. What do you got for us, Ryan? How you doing, guys? Good. 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 My, I think the offense is going to be fine. My my problem is, is the defensive side of the ball. Um, even back to the AFC championship game when we lost um, the Bengals game, just giving the wide receivers too much free space, 10 yards, you know, the cornerbacks playing way off. I don't know if that was Frazier or McDermott, but I'd like to see them jamming some guys to the line, knocking some of the quarterback timing off, just not free eight-yard passes and just, just – Free yards. I, I I don't know if you guys see it or it's just me or if it's every game, but I just like to see a little more physicality at the line with the getting knocking their wide receivers, you know, off their lines a little bit. Yeah, I, I get you, Ryan. And we've talked about this too on the show some. You look back at the Bills, you know, in the recent history under Sean McDermott and their playoff losses, you know, they they dropped a sixteen point lead in the second half of the Houston game when they first when they first got back to the playoffs. And, you know, the 13-second game. And then last year, in, in, in the stinker they laid against Cincinnati, um, this is, you know, it's a team 
that and, and it's always you know we say well the defense should have played better and well okay but the things you're describing like the easy eight yard passes the, you're you're describing 95 percent of the national football league defenses um it's a different kind of game these days and certainly in the playoffs you're not playing against a team that struggles offensively in this day and age you used to do that back in the day but when you get into the divisional round and the championship round of the NFL playoffs these days, you're dealing with a guy that can sling it almost exclusively. And so you got to play defense differently than you do when you're, and than if you were playing Bob Greasy and Larry Zonka and Mercury Morris. It's a little different animal. Yeah. Um, and I get it. It's, and sometimes it's really frustrating. And But we've heard a little bit of this refrain in a show in some of our callers where – they look and they look back and say the defense was just too timid. And they point to the 13-second game where they, you know, the three consecutive plays of 20 yards and all that stuff. And they say that's what did it. It's, it's playing too conservatively. Well, maybe. Uh, but we got to wait and see how Sean McDermott's going to call this defense and how they're going to play with this group of guys because all those playoff losses were – even if you point to the defense in every single one of them, which I don't think you can, but even if you do – Every one of those games is different than every other game. So you gotta you gotta play the game that day. And I've i I'll say it again, I'm gonna say it through this season. You gotta play well on that day. And that means on both sides of the ball. So we're not gonna solve any problems here in June that are gonna pop their heads up in February. But to your but to your question specifically. I think Sean McDermott, as the defensive play caller, is going to be more aggressive and is going to press receivers at the line of scrimmage more often. Number one, because he doesn't like giving up free yards. And number two, he's got the players that can do it. He's got a healthy Tredavious White. He's got Kair Elam, Christian Benford, who are guys that can all play press man coverage. He's even got Dane Jackson, who's probably – better in press than he is in zone. So you've got guys more than capable of executing that, and you've got a coach that clearly wants to make a greater impact in the splash play area of defense. You be aggressive, you get rewarded. So it wouldn't shock me if we saw a change in approach, not every week, but certainly in a timely, this is the right moment to be aggressive type of way, and I hope that makes sense. We do have to take a break here. One final segment to go. We'll try to get some phone calls in when we return here on One Bills Live, presented by Collider Health. It's Buffalo Bills Radio. All right, one final segment here on One Bills Live on a Thursday. Back to the phones into Pete in Buffalo. What do you got, Pete? Yeah, hi. Um, thank you. Um, I wasn't planning on calling because I'm getting over a cold and my voice is a mess, but I have to defend Diggs. The guy has 300, over 300 catches, almost 4,000 yards, 30 touchdowns, and I can't believe people want to run him out of town. You know, I was thinking back in the 90s, after two years, people wanted to run molds out of town, and he's probably the second best receiver in Bill's history. Reed, too. He got hurt in a playoff game, and people were calling in on the radio after. He didn't play that game, and they were calling him gutless. That's the best receiver in Bill's history. So 
you know, how many good players are we going to run out of town here? You can throw Marshawn Lynch into that as well. So that's really all I had to say. Uh, yeah, Pete, you know what, Don, and I, you're, I agree with you 100%. You're right. But every player goes through a moment like that. Most players do. People were all over Jim Kelly when he first got here, and it wasn't going well at first. And he was yelling and screaming at guys on the sideline hard. Uh, and, you know, people didn't like Bruce. He didn't like Bruce didn't practice or wasn't in the in training camp or whatever. Uh, Bruce had his run-ins with it. Andre certainly did. Eric Moulds, as you mentioned. Almost every player you can name had moments or times when people were, like, mad at him. It's, it's kind of what you sign up for as a pro. And what you have to remember is these guys are really good. They're, they're, Steph Diggs is talking to Sean McDermott and Josh Allen and Brandon Bean and his teammates and his receiver room, his quarterback, everybody. He's talking to his teammates and the guys in the building. All of us are allowed sort of to listen in a little bit of it and watch what happens, but the conversations are private. And the acid test should be in always this. If his teammates love him and his coaches love him and they want him around, take their advice, keep him around. And mm-hmm. I get it. We're all mad at each other once in a while. But that's kind of what we all sign up for when we love a sports team like we do. That'll do it for a Thursday edition of One Bills Live. We'll be back here tomorrow at 1. And on the show with us will be PFF's Trevor Sycama. We'll see you on Thursday. Or today's Thursday. We'll see you on Friday.